As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. This is the weekend review. I roll my ass ever more every week on that one. I'm very proud of it. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me today to discuss the denouement of several major European leagues and much, much more is a man who one day may receive a tearful tribute on the pitch from Pep Guardiola, Taylor Rockwell. <laughs> oh, I would I would very much enjoy that. I, I don't see it happening. Maybe for my Graham Ruffin, maybe a tearful, a tearful <laughs> salute from Graham Ruffin I'll take. Yeah, I mean, that happens after the podcast every week anyway. <laughs> Taylor, can you give it, uh, Graham, sorry, can you give us your best, we cannot replace him, he is a special person and with, with tears in your eyes right now, so we can hear how it sounds? I'll, I'll, I'll WhatsApp you after the, after the podcast. I can't do it on demand. It <laughs> needs you. to come from, come, you. come from the heart. <laughs> I, I cannot take a compliment and that would have made me like horrifically uncomfortable for the rest of the episode. So thanks, Graham. I appreciate that. As long as I'll accept the WhatsApp proposal, Graham, as long as you do the F-bomb that Guardiola oh, yeah. did live on TV as well, but followed it. Yes, you can count on that. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's our crew today. Myself, uh, Taylor Rockwell and Graham Rudman will be taking you through plenty of the action from the weekend. We had the conclusion of uh, Spain's top division as uh, also with the Premier League, League R, the Bundesliga, Italy. We've got some MLS action to go through, some championship playoffs. We are having a busy one today, gentlemen. Um, I wanted to start off, though, by talking about uh, Sergio Ramos and his absence from the international squad of Spain for Euro 2020. Feels like a big deal, doesn't it? Feels like a milestone, Graham, that he's not going to be there. No Real Madrid players, in fact, in that squad. Yep, no, not not a single Real Madrid player in the Spain squad. 24-man squad. Of course, Luis Enrique could have picked 26, but he really doesn't like Real Madrid, and so he just left <laughs> two spaces open. There's more uh, Brighton players in the Spain squad, by the way, than there are Real Madrid players. Uh, yes, I, I think a, a big surprise that Sergio Ramos isn't there. I understand the reasoning in isolation, uh, Luis Enrique explaining that Sergio Ramos hasn't played a lot, he hasn't trained a lot, and that is certainly all true. But when you see Eric Garcia in the Spain squad as well, who, to be honest, I forgot was at Manchester City, you have to question the reasoning a little bit. (laughs) Well, speaking of forgetting at Manchester City and defenders, uh, Ramos apparently replaced by a Frenchman, uh, Eric Laporte coming in as well. Uh, Taylor, what did you make of this squad? No, no Real Madrid players, only three from Barcelona, only two from Atleti as well. It seems like an interesting mix. 
Yeah, it it is like that, like the obvious headline specifically because of Ramos, but the other ones like Carvajal, I think, is the same kind of injury concern. Uh, Odriozola maybe is not up to the races yet, so it leaves like, what, Asensio Isco? And I think it, it makes sense why none of them would be there. I do love the idea that Luis Enrique did think, like, I could call in one of them, but that sort of breaks the the headline that I know everybody's going to want. You know what? I'll just, leave, I'll just leave them out and we'll have none. Probably also a sort of... Uh, damning condemnation of Real Madrid's squad from a Spanish perspective, mm. from a Zinedine Zidane, I would like you all to spend some money perspective. So uh, I think that's probably another thing we can talk about later on, or now, whichever one you prefer, Ryan Bailey. Oh, we can... whatever you feel like, Taylor. <laughs> I'm, 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 just a, I'm just your guide here. Uh, I, w- I would say I hope at Euro 2020 we just see Sergio Ramos in the stands sort of yes. wildly gesticulating as we have been used to for at least half a season now. That's, yeah. that's the cheerleading, cheerleading role I want to see him in. And he, st- see, I, he still won't have figured out how to use his mask either. It'll be <laughs> on his forehead, on his, on his neck, anywhere but his, his nose and his mouth. It's tradition. I also enjoyed his... In the opening minutes of their game, where he was sort of doing the like, no, nah, I'm just going to be relaxed today. Like, we're just going to be nice and easy. He was like, I think had legs over one seat. He was stretched back. He was recumbent. And then within 30 seconds, he was standing up and gesticulating wildly. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of chill to him. So maybe that's another reason why he's not in there this summer. Just to make a, hey, well, submit- sorry, to, to, to just to make a, a bit of a, a serious point. Like, I, I, I do wonder if this is a politically bad move from Luis Enrique um, to, because he has got a little bit of a target. We know what the Madrid media is like. I'm looking forward to watching sharing Guito TV tonight uh, mm-hmm. with the, the guy who was, who reacted to the Eden Hazard Champions League uh, thing. I'm looking forward to see how he <laughs> responds to this. But but seriously, like I think having someone like Nacho Fernandez in there over Eric Garcia wouldn't have reduced the quality of the squad by much, but would have just maybe spared him having that target on his back going into a major tournament. So I do wonder if politically he, ha- is, he has blundered into something a little bit Luis Enrique. Well, great. I wouldn't worry about it, Graham. Spain don't have a recent history of making major managerial changes before a tournament <laughs> or anything, so I think they'll be fine. <laughs> yep, nothing to worry about. <laughs> All right, gents, should we get into it? Why don't we start off to, uh, talking about Spain and the Spanish title race? La Liga's confu- uh, conclusion. Confusion? Conclusion, if you will. Uh, it is be official. <laughs> it can be both. It certainly was, because uh, it was, if we looked at the Marcelo and, and Sergio Ramos in the stand during their game, they certainly had some excitement and confusion as the, sco- as the score lines were coming through uh, during this uh, afternoon of action. It's Atletico Madrid, of course, who won their first title since 2014. Uh, Diego Simeone's second title. Kieran Trippier, considerably more silverware than Tottenham uh, on his resume in, <laughs> in recent years, you could say. And Atleti... Um, Graham, what, what do you make of them getting the win overall? Uh, you know, they've been top since week 12. Uh, seems like it was theirs to lose. Well, it quite literally was theirs to lose on the final day. Uh, a deserved title, would you say, Graham? Yeah, just about. I think the, the, the three teams involved, and even the, the fourth in Sevilla, um, they're all fairly flawed as, as, as sides, as teams. And so I think that's what made this La Liga race so compelling. And it's a bit of a myth that the best title races are, are between high-quality teams because, as we saw in Spain this season, the best title races are, be, are, be, are between teams that are just tripping over each other um, week after week. And obviously, mm-hmm. on the final day, that happened with Atleti and Real Madrid losing their matches for, for, for much of the afternoon until kind of late turnarounds. But I think just because of the way those goals were scored, Atleti went behind at roughly the same time that the Villarreal scored against Real Madrid. So even if you'd if you'd looked at it after the fact, you'd have thought, "Oh, this was a nervy one for Atleti." And and I felt like the real nerves were in that Osasuna game the week before, and I, I just felt like Atleti were were going to get the job done. I don't think it's the David versus Goliath upset that 2014 was. I mean, Atleti have finished second twice in, in the league since then. They've spent 128 million euros on a teenager two summers ago. They play at a spaceship of a stadium that's hosted a Champions League final. So that they're, they're not really the underdogs anymore. But I think this was proof of how Spain's big two is genuinely a big three now. Well, to that point, Taylor, it, it has been painted Atleti's win as like the underdogs in this situation. Are they? They, I mean, they've signed the fourth most expensive player of all time. Uh, they're underdogs in maybe four games out of 38 per season, yeah. I think you could say, right? I think that's the thing. It's like they're the least underdog underdog you can have uh, because anytime it's not Real Madrid and Barcelona, I think it's going to be seen as an underdog winning it. If that's Atleti, if that's Sevilla, if it's Valencia, whomever. 
But in this case, yeah, I take your point that it is them having spent a lot of money. We talked about it previously, but the idea that they're going to kind of change up the style a little bit. We end up having them playing in their four four two and being defensively solid and getting some fortunate breaks and making some things happen. And, and I think, if anything, it's a testament to just sort of not – uh, parting ways with your manager if things don't seem like they're going as smoothly as they could be because Diego Simeone's been there for a while and I think that's a big part of how they're able to kind of fight through and eventually get the result that they do and get the title that they do. So credit to them. And how much credit do we give Diego Simeone for this situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, Graham, I want to ask you this. Is he, a, is, is he a genius manager? Could he replicate what he does at Atleti? Could he transplant that to any other club in Europe, do you think? Or is there some special alchemy that he has with this club? I think that it's it's there's quite a lot of the latter. I think uh, Simeone, Simeone and Atleti, it, it would be difficult for him to replicate that elsewhere. That's not to say that he he couldn't, but I think he would need to pick the club very carefully. I mean, if you drop yeah. Simeone into Manchester City, <laughs> that's not going to work. Um, there's always this sense fun, that that maybe Inter might be a decent fit for him. Obviously, he's got he's got past history as as a player there, so kind of the same emotional base that he had at Atleti when he went when he went in there and and so maybe maybe that could work and it, that has been on the cards like I remember two years ago that that was kind of expected that Simeone was going to go to, to Inter Milan and, and and it didn't happen so I do think he will be a coach somewhere else I don't think he's going to be a you know he's going to retire at Atleti or anything like that but yes it very much feels like a, a perfect fit where Atleti fans they tolerate the kind of conservative football that Real Madrid and Barcelona fans wouldn't because they get other things from Simeone that that, that, that they value. And that's kind of manifested itself this season in, in a title. So I guess that's a, a good uh, a good bargain for them. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with Graham and I would I would say that like there's that clip doing the rounds of Kieran Trippier winning the ball in like the ninety second or ninety third minute and it's just a loose ball tackle, he puts it out and Simeone loses his mind, so too do like half of the Atleti squad. And I think there is that there's that like collective fight, that collective Simeone spirit. I forget what the word he uses is. Chilismo. Thank you. Uh, but like the, you can definitely see that in the blueprint, in the DNA of this Atleti team and in past ones as well. And I think Graham's absolutely right that like because he's had the time to put in that work to build that identity, it allows them to function as they do. But also because they are that third team in La Liga, they're always going to be perceived as beneath uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona when it comes to what they can spend, when it comes to their popularity and attractiveness for, for signings. I think it gives him a license to be more defensive. It reminds me of like Mourinho when he knocks out Barcelona with Inter. And it's like, yeah, we'll put 10 behind the ball and frustrate and defend. That's what you have to do when you're playing Barcelona. And I think to some extent it lets Simeone be that more defensive, pragmatic manager because you're going up against Lionel Messi and you're going up against Karim Benzema. You got to do something. And I think if he goes to... Liverpool or Chelsea, I don't know if that mentality is there, and I don't know if there's that freedom to go defensive, to be that rigid. That said, they did it with Mourinho twice, Chelsea did, so you never know. But I do think like Spurs would be a great place for him to go. That feels like the exact level of, you can do what you want, you can be as defensive as you want, we'll give you some money, and uh, yeah, try to make it work. That seems like a, a good jump for him, though winning Spain might be a good reason to stay in Spain. I'm not sure he'd actually make it in England because did did he not have the audacity to be kicked well, by that. David Beckham at the World <laughs> Cup? Maybe that still would, uh, would 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 you know blot his copybook in in the UK, so to speak. I think he did I'm some so... kicking of his own. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. But this um this final day of La Liga certainly was uh it went back and forth, shall we say? Atleti didn't lead until the 67th minute. Real didn't lead their game until the 90th minute. Both were behind at the first half, and uh, when Correa scored uh, for Atleti, I think. Real had one disallowed in the same minute. That was a, an interesting moment, a, a passage of time there. It seemed, though, gents, that Luis Suarez was the hero of the day here. Um, getting on the score sheet, of course, as he has done uh, quite a lot in recent weeks. I find it, and, and I, we saw the, all the images of him, you know, in tears on his phone to his family on the field there at Valladolid. And by the way, a bittersweet scene at uh, Jose Zaria Stadium where Valladolid were... Uh, relegated yeah. by this result as well. So Atleti won the title on the same day that they relegated a team in the same match, which is kind of tough to see the uh, very upset home team and the the uh, very uh, happy uh, visitors. So that's, that was an interesting uh, tableau, if you will. But Luis Suarez being the hero here, I find it hard to be on his side still given his past is that fair i saw someone uh with that with that picture of him looking at his phone which by the way is just gold 
memery. Like the, I've seen yeah. so many great memes of that. But yeah, I saw someone uh, tweeting, and uh, 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 the comment was, Ni- "It's Nigerian scams." What's that? Sorry, it was. At, I'm gonna guess it was at Nigerian scams. Before you say <laughs> what what the comment was, go ahead. The comment I saw was it, it, it was uh, impossible to dislike this man, and I thought, um. ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw I saw Nigerian scams quote tweeted that one and said uh, I'm guessing you're not Ghanaian which was a uh, a, a, a pretty accurate uh, comment on Luis Suarez because I had that same thing I'm like oh he's kind of likable now and maybe it's nope. just that he's not with Barcelona and then you run through the litany of offensives and like dramatic moments in his career there's plenty of reason to still not like him but I can understand why it's fun to root for him in this sequence because you know he's old and slow and will never be good again so we don't need him if you're Barcelona and Atleti certainly did. Even when he was on the break for that that two one goal, it did look like his his tummy was sticking out more than I remembered it. Certainly, but uh, full credit to him as as, as uh, you know he was told by Barcelona he was too old. Blah blah blah. Helps them win a title, uh, their first league title in seven years. Indeed. So um, in some ways, congratulations to Suarez, but also we haven't forgotten. I think the um, the best comment I saw, or I, I think it was on Twitter, it said, "If you're having a bad day, just remember that Thomas Partey left Atletico for Arsenal." Oof. Uh, this season. I mean, Yeesh. if you think about it, he he did more than double his wages when he went there, but uh, I don't know. Maybe he's yeah. not feeling so hot about and, that. And talking about finances, that's always the thing that's conveniently left out of the, the Suarez discussion is, yes, they, they said he was old and slow, but a big reason they got rid of him was he was on €450,000 a week and uh, Barcelona have no money. So... <laughs> that doesn't fit the narrative, Graham. That doesn't fit the narrative. Nope, it was not good enough, and then he proved them wrong. There are so many weird moments of this one. Like, like the winner itself being assisted by Sergi Guardiola, who plays for Valladolid. Yeah. Uh, that that one, like, they're going to have to, when they make this into a movie, they're going to have to edit that one a little bit, because otherwise it won't make sense, and people will just kind of jump to, like, was, was it match-fixing? Is that how this happened? Because that ball from Suarez is an inch-perfect through ball, except it's from an opposition player. So I didn't really know what to make of that one, but I thought his finish was great and I enjoyed his, his happy celebrations afterward. Yeah, yeah, as much as as much as you can enjoy it, Taylor. As much as you can enjoy it in, <laughs> in that context, I'd say. Um, Real Madrid, of course, uh, they they took on Villarreal, who we thought might be distracted by their impending Europa League final, their 417th Europa League final in the last 417 years, I believe. Two uh, ones, Real Madrid. This one finished though, and uh, the, the the highlight there was, as, as I mentioned, Marcelo and Ramos in the crowds, sort of reacting when Atleti went down, and uh, you know, lo- lots of fun in the stands at Valdebabos. I thought, Graham. Yeah, one of, one of the interesting things that I didn't actually think about until these games kicked off is obviously with on a final day like this in a, in a title race, you don't really have control over the message. So obviously word filters down from the fans and we've all seen kind of fans cheering when there's a goal in another game. So I was thinking about, well, does Zidane tell his player, because, because obviously there's no fans in, in the stands, he has this rare control over the message. So should he tell his players that Atleti are losing? or and, and the same goes for Simeone. Should he tell his players that Real Madrid are losing? Or I just thought that was another another interesting uh, aspect of this final day in Spain was that this we, we'll, we'll never have that again. Hopefully, we'll never have that again where we don't have fans in the stands. So it was a bit of it a rarity. Evokes, um, it evokes that very famous um, end of season in the 90s. Was it Man City when they needed a goal to win and they were, they were holding the ball in the corner because they thought they needed a draw? And, uh, and then they went down. So, yeah, <laughs> communication is key in these situations, I would say. Uh, but, uh, Taylor, with Real Madrid this season, can we cut them a break? Yes, they didn't win yep. the league, but they had a lot of injury problems. They did get quite far in the Champions League and they took the title race to the last day. We can't exactly say Zidane hasn't done a good job, can we, in those circumstances? There were a lot of double, double negatives in there, but yes, I think he had a very good season. I think if you look at their final five games, it's the exact same record as what Atleti put in to finish two points behind uh, to make the deep run of the Champions League that they made. Uh, and I think to basically put together the results that they did with a lot of the injuries, with a lot of the squad rotation they've they've had to utilize. And I think really looking at this game, it was a good sort of representation of the season as a whole they win but it's not particularly convincing it's potentially overly reliant on Luka Modric and Karim Benzema and even the changes they make you have sort of the veterans coming in and it wasn't really this but it can easily be sort of like 
seen as the veterans coming in for the youngsters who weren't quite up to it. So Marcelo coming on for Odrizolo, Nacho for Gutierrez, even Isco for Asensio a little bit. It just had this feeling of like, ah, we got to put in the familiar faces when we want to make something happen. And definitely speaks to Madrid needing to freshen things up this summer. One last note on Spain. I believe the television rights in the US are going to ESPN next season, Taylor. Bye-bye being sports in the US. What does that mean for them? They have... The French League, I think. Do they still? I'm not sure. I, I, they might have lost that one too. Uh, yeah, I, I think. Which will be sad because Phil Shane and Ray Hudson need employment. They need to be doing games. Oh wait, does that ideally mean, La Liga games, whatever they want to do. Does mean Ray Hudson's not going to be commentating on La Liga games anymore? I uh, I, I am now worried that I've 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 like ruined Graham's day. No, uh, and I don't want that to be the case. But I, I'm sure he will land on his feet and find another opportunity to have uh, hyperbolic hyperbolic uh, metaphors around the world. I will subscribe to your Patreon, Ray, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say OnlyFans. Uh, Ray does live um, lives down in Florida, and you know, in this idyllic place with iguanas walking around his floor. I, I'm not sure he's going to get that if he moves to Connecticut with the SPM, but I hope that the, we still hear him on the airwaves in the US, most certainly. Uh, gents, we've, be, uh, we've got plenty to cover on this episode. We're going to come back very shortly with the Premier League. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, we are back. Let's talk Premier League. It was Championship Sunday, as NBC kept reminding us on a day where no championship was decided <laughs> in the Premier League. Uh, but they still marketed it that way for many weeks. Uh, hey-ho. Uh, so, so note, before we go into the main action, which I think will probably revolve around the fight for the Champions League spots, the fourth spot focus here. Um, Arsenal will be out without European football for the first time since 95-96. When did Wenger come in? Was it that season? It was around then, wasn't it? Certainly mid-90s. So uh, the, the first time in a long time that Arsenal will not be in European competition. West Ham, let's give props to them. They've qualified for the Europa League for next season. Their most points in a Premier League season and their most wins too. And I was quite surprised because West Ham have had a couple good seasons in the Premier League. There was one when they finished fifth under Harry Redknapp with a negative goal difference. Fifth. Wonderful. And uh, also <laughs> wanted to give a big shout out to Leeds as well, finishing ninth with a plus 16 goal difference. They more than doubled the points of their other promoted teams, West Brom and Fulham. I think they deserve an awful, awful lot of credit for that. Um, why don't we talk about the, uh, the, the Liverpool, I suppose, is where we just start, though, in terms of getting into the Champions League because they did it. They were in eighth, Graham, in March, and they've got into finishing third with a 2-0 win over Crystal Palace. Seems like that Alison header, was it last week or the week before? That was, uh, that was quite important in the title race in the end. Yeah, yeah, it was. And um, Match of the Day last night had their, their goal of the season competition and didn't have the Alison header in, in it, which was, which was baffling to me because it's, it is probably, the, in terms of the football at least, because of, I, I, what I'll take away from this season is, maybe, is the European Super League protests and things like that. But the most memorable footballing moment for me was Alisson's header in that game. And mm. as, as you say, that kind of proved to be the, the difference for Liverpool getting back into the Champions League. And I, I, it's, it's a strange one because I, I don't really know how to look at Liverpool's season because the, the temptation is... Obviously, they, f- they finished third, and that did not look likely in, in March. As you say, they were as low as eighth. And and the temptation is to say it was a sensational recovery, and in and, and, and one sense, it absolutely was. Of course it was. Um, but, you know, they were they were top of the league at New Year's. Um, so that was after kind of the injuries and after Van Dijk. And then they won their final five games of the season to finish third. And so I, I guess in the middle, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking that, did their resurgence prove that they were capable of 
but did the start and the end prove that that was kind of their level all along and actually the bit in the middle was the was the failure and actually that that, that, that they underachieved I don't know I, I've got so many conflicting thoughts on how Liverpool's season went but I guess they'll be relieved that, that they're in the Champions League and that they can uh, attract some decent players this summer the, the- the bread of the sandwich was good, but the meat wasn't so hot. Is that what you're saying, Graham? Yeah, pretty much a Subway <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> well, Taylor, it's, it's interesting because it, it's almost a, the opposite of Leicester's finish. They had they won 26 of 30 points in their final 10 games. And you've got to look at what Jurgen Klopp's done this season. Uh, you know, having a, a very makeshift defence, losing Van Dijk, losing Gomez and Matip for the season. Uh, so many different centre-back pairings, having, having Fabinho having to drop back. And maybe the turnaround is when Fabinho comes back into midfield, Taylor, because uh, it, it, that, that certainly seemed to be the case. But I, I, I've seen this touted as... Klopp's finest achievement, getting Liverpool into the Champions League, considering the injuries they had. But then I think, well, hang on, teams like Leicester had injuries too. Lots of other teams yeah. have had injuries. What do you think? I think that it, it's it's all sort of like relativism when you come when it comes to talking about the success of a season or the su- success of a manager. And I think, yeah, like to the point that Graham was making, if you're looking at this in January and you're seeing it as them finishing third, it's a failure. If you're looking at this when they are like completely off the pace and have a ton of injuries and then they finish third it's a massive success and i and i think like with that in mind them having the run that they did to finish third i think there's a recency bias there Mm because i would say winning the premier league winning the champions league slightly greater coaching achievements in my mind especially honestly winning the premier league just because it is such a slog and you do have to fight through those months when you're you're tired players maybe are struggling to get up for it and you've still got to find a way to motivate them find a way to pick the right lineup and have the tactics correct to win and i think what we saw is the age-old sort of cliche of it's really difficult to repeat, and you've got to keep that hunger and that intensity. And when you have a juggernaut like Man City who have the talent they have and the coach they have, that's always going to be such a difficult achievement that if you're framing it from the did they keep pace with Manchester City, then the season is obviously a failure. But I think when you're framing it from they had a ton of injuries, they didn't really invest a ton of money into this squad, uh, though Thiago was supposed to give us, what, like 30 points by himself, I think uh, in the end it is a very good season. And I'm excited to see Liverpool in the Champions League because I think that they just tend to be a fun team, even if they're not my favourite team. Completely agreed there. Completely agreed. And uh, uh, Graham, just for the record, will we be seeing the new Liverpool kit on your OnlyFans with the uh, nice orange trim? I actually quite like it. Oh, do you? I'm, I'm, I, so I, I think it looked a lot better on TV than it did in the images because I don't know where Nike have pulled that orange from. It's not, it's not a Liverpool sort of colour. It's from Roma's shirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it does look very much like a Roma shirt, which is no bad thing. They've, they've had some excellent shirts in, in recent years. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe that one might, m- might not be part of the subscription. Or it might, it might be like a higher tier or, some, or something. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing it on your floor. Um, a big, uh, big game in the uh, Champions League. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. A uh, big game in the Champions League race was uh, Leicester against Tottenham. This one finishing 4-2 uh, to Tottenham. Uh, very, uh, quite consequential. Leicester. Ryan, 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 Ryan's scrambling here. Oh, no. <laughs> I flustered myself. He's, 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 still on the, he's still on the OnlyFans kick. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, plenty of permutations coming out of this game. Uh, for, for Leicester, the last two seasons, uh, they've come out of the top four in the final two match games the only time they're out of the top four this season was the final two match games yeah. five losses in their final 10 games for Leicester uh, as I say a bit of a contrast with Liverpool Taylor um, still had lots of injuries but there is this feeling that Brendan Rodgers doesn't quite get it over the line yeah, and I think it's it's similar to the Atleti thing that we talked about, where when you're Leicester, you may have won the title a few years ago. You might still have a very good squad with a lot of talent. It is a lot of talent that then gets sold on and you have to replace, and they're very, very good at doing that. But it like it doesn't feel it, it feels like if you told them they'd finish fifth at the beginning of the season, they would be totally fine with that. If you told them they were gonna finish fifth a couple of weeks ago, significantly less fine. Mm. And so I, I don't like have as much criticism for Brendan Rodgers as I probably would if the situation were flipped and it were Chelsea in fifth. But with that said, you look at the way they kind of finish out the season with, what, three losses in their final five, uh, with winning the FA Cup, but then... Uh, like basically, I think maybe letting that get to their heads a little bit, and there's the the throwing the Chelsea pendant, which now feels very sort of uh, 
hubris when when it is Chelsea who <laughs> pip you to that fourth place spot. Uh, I think in the end, it's a it's a good season from Leicester, but it is definitely another what could have been season at the same time. Did anyone see the the graphic going around of the number of weeks spent in the top four this season? Did anyone see that? Yeah. So Chelsea, I'm do, I'll do it in a, a ascending order. So Chelsea were um, fifth with 102 weeks. Then it was Manchester City, 130 weeks. Then it was Liverpool, 139 weeks. So Liverpool spent longer in the top four than City, the runaway champions. Then it was Manchester United with 155 weeks. And then way out at the top for the most time spent in the top four this season was Leicester City with 242 weeks. Ouch. Hang on, are there only 52 weeks in a year? Sorry. Um, <laughs> hold on. We <laughs> Games, is it then? I'm confused. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I, What's the metric? <laughs> you're 100% right. Hold on. Is it over the last two seasons? No, that would still be like... Oh, Graham. <laughs> Graham's flying through the air right now. <laughs> but yeah, hold on. the point I'm, being I'm that reading, they were in top four for yeah, a while. I'm reading from a graphic, so that's why I'm really confused. Hold on. Talk amongst yourself, and I'm going to figure this one out. <laughs> the graphic, by the way, is a handwritten note written by Graham uh, <laughs> on a cracker. <laughs> but it, I don't know. It's it's a tough one, right? Because it, it does seem like with all of those numbers, those 7,000 weeks at, at the top days, of uh, days, in the top days. four. <laughs> days makes more sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it feels like... They they like asking is this a failure? Did they fail to get it over the line? Feels harsh, but also fair simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, the interesting point. Um, My years are really about, long. This year has been a long year. <laughs> I, it has felt like there's been 242 weeks in this year. Let's be fair. Yeah. Um, and certainly uh, Chelsea won't be regretting that. They get successfully back into the Champions League uh, with Tottenham uh, beating Leicester in that game, even though they did lose to Aston Villa. Um, with, with this Tottenham win, I wonder if they will come to regret this because it means... Uh, Tottenham will now play in the Europa Conference League with Gareth Bale getting those two goals. Uh, he's now a Chelsea legend, helping Chelsea get into the Champions League and helping Spurs get into the Europa Conference League. If they'd not won this, uh, Spurs would have not been in the Europa Conference League. Arsenal would have been. So they've even saved Arsenal from getting into this Conference League. So I'm not so sure this win was such a good idea for Tottenham. Uh, Taylor, any thoughts on that? I, I guess, I mean, like competitions are competitions and this one will be a fun one for Tottenham to run their reserves out against and get knocked out pretty quickly. Uh, that seems to be what, what clubs tend to do with those kind of second or I guess in this case, third tier European competitions. But I hope they don't. I hope that they kind of embrace it and run with it and, and win some silverware if only so that we can kind of retire that joke. Although it does then feel like winning the Europa Conference will still be a joke unto itself, even if Tottenham do win. So it does feel a little bit like a poison chalice. I think It'll be on the level of the Audi Cup, I, I think. I think that oh. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Come on, it's a, it's a European competition. And what, what was quite funny was the BT commentators, or the pundits after the, the Spurs game at the weekend, completely trashing the Europa Conference League despite yeah. the fact BT are the official rights holders for the Europa Conference League. <laughs> <laughs> so good luck trying to sell those subscriptions, lads, for the for that competition. But yeah, yeah. have you also seen the, the, the trophy for it that's been revealed today? It's uh, if, you, if, you've, if you have seen it, it's like the Europa League trophy if you were to order it off of Wish. It's what you would get. It's a very poor oh, imitation. Now, now, now I'm going. Now I'm going. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> well, that's not. Do, that's do, not great. Do we look forward to Nuno's Tottenham lifting that one? Huh? How's that for an image for you? That fit nicely, does, does it? Hmm? Is that what's happening? I still haven't really figured out what's going on with Wolves and why Nuno is leaving. Is it to take over Tottenham? I, that does now make a lot of sense to me now that I think about that it. That was the... I think he's, st- I think he's still the favourite, but it doesn't make a lot of sense and I don't think it will happen. Graham, really? any, any insight? It'll be Rodgers. It'll be Rodgers. I know I know. he said he's two, 200% going to be... He's committed wow. to Leicester, but guess Has who? he said that before? Yeah, he said that to, to Celtic fans... <laughs> Before he uh, before he jumped to Leicester, Brendan Rodgers. A serious a serious point. Brendan Rodgers is um, ruthlessly ambitious, and I know Leicester finished ahead of Spurs in the table, but they've missed out in the Champions League. I think that would have been a big factor if they'd got into the Champions League. I think I think it'll be Brendan Rodgers. I think it'll be a protracted kind of uh, negotiation and things like that. But I think he'll I be feel Spurs so bad manager. for managers. I really do. Do you? Because like there's there's nothing. There's really no way you can answer questions like that. And it's the same for players. Whenever it's like, whenever clubs do the preseason tours here in the U.S. and they always get that question of like, would you ever play in Major League Soccer? Like, they can't say no. 
So then they have to do, they're like, yeah, you know, you never know what's going to happen, and one day that could be fun. And then it becomes Ronaldo says he's going to play in Major League Soccer. Similarly with Brendan Rodgers, no matter what he says, if he says no, categorically no, and then they make him a, a, like a massive offer and he takes it, he looks foolish. But if he says, oh, you never know, like I might be on the way out, that's probably not going to be great either. Just ask Borussia Mönchengladbach with Marco Rosa what happens when your mm. coach is no longer committed. So I never, I never quite know what managers should say in that moment, aside from I like the old Dave Chappelle as George Bush joke of just like knock the water pitcher over and run away. That's, <laughs> that seems to be the smartest thing to do is just get out of there as fast as you can. Yeah. I also feel sorry for managers who get paid millions and millions and get to walk away from a job with uh, no effect on on their career when they fail massively and get a nice new job instead. Must be oh, rough. Cool. Same page. Must Same be page. rough. Must awesome. be rough, yeah. So there, there we have it. Uh, former Chelsea coach uh, Brendan Rodgers going to Spurs is the uh, breaking news uh, from, from the Total Soccer Show podcast, I suppose. We shall see how that one unfolds. I have to mention, on, sorry, I have to mention before we wrap this up, did anyone see the excuse from Chelsea over their performance and their defeat to Aston Villa? They've lodged a complaint with the Premier League blaming stewards eating ice cream uh, for delaying their entry into Villa Park. And the best bit of the story is they, they provide the detail of what the toppings were on the ice cream. So one steward had a raspberry ripple and the other one had a flake. So, yeah, that's up there with some of the best. That's up there with Jurgen Klopp's Allison had cold feet uh, <laughs> uh, excuses this season. Chelsea, Chelsea really, really want to be the villain, don't they? Like, if you're lodging complaints over people eating ice cream, like, there, no, no hero has ever done that in any story <laughs> ever. Like, that's not, that's not the way you go about building goodwill. Uh, so I guess congrats to Chelsea is what I'm trying yeah, to say for finishing. There's also an irony uh, in uh, Chelsea being prevented from parking the bus after years. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Got him. Love Got him. Um, I've got to say, ice cream on the job when you're a steward and it's, what is it, their second game with fans this season? Is it like, is it like you, come on, you've had a long season of well, two games. Let's, let's, let's have some ice cream before the bus gets here. Is that the uh, vibe we're getting? Yeah, I mean, there was only, what, a few thousand fans there anyway, so they're just totally phoning it in. <laughs> they're, they're not bothered. I'm sorry. Look, if you want to eat ice cream, eat ice cream. It's a tough time. It's 2021. There's a pandemic. Things are weird in the world. Eat some ice cream. It's fine, guys. Uh, it's, it is not warm in the UK right now. Also, Taylor, no, I like that. Not. It's not ice cream weather. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you now saying that you can only eat ice cream in warm weather, Ryan? This is the most bah humbug show I've heard from you in a while. <laughs> uh, I've I've no response to that bah humbug. Why don't we um, <laughs> uh, jump on to the other leagues we've not yet to cover, including the French, uh, the Italian, the German, and much more? After these short commercial messages, I hate everything. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we have returned, everybody. Did you miss us? No, you didn't because you heard us doing ad reads moments ago. We're back anyway. Let's talk about League R. Paris Saint-Germain didn't win it. Mauricio Pochettino came second in a one-horse race, etc., etc., and so on. Uh, it was Lille who, of course, got their first title in 10 years, uh, getting a two-on win at Angers for their 24th win of the season, Graham. 21 clean sheets as well. Uh, say what you want about PSG, but they have built a good team. They had a rather good defence this season. Yep, absolutely, and that's that swap. This title success was was built on that defence, and obviously the 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 two kind of strikers as well, Barrett Yilmaz and 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 Jonathan David, the, the the Canadian striker as well, deserve a lot of credit. They have been excellent, and that that front two actually is a bit of a reflection of this Lille team as a whole, where they have a, a number of experienced heads like Josie Font at central defence, and then they have they've partnered those experienced players with uh, youngsters like Jonathan David and Sven Botman, the the twenty one year old uh, Dutch defender who. It's been widely linked with Liverpool and Manchester United, and he could be the kind of 
the next player to to, to bag Leo quite a big fee, and that's the, that's the shame about this team is is it, while they this is an an incredible achievement, they're a very good team to watch, and and they deserve their success. It feels like it's already falling apart a little bit with even their manager apparently off to to Nice. Christophe Galtier is is going to be the apparently the new Nice manager. So yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed it because Leo might not be in this position again next season. I mean, anytime you can leave uh, a championship winning team to go to a team that finished 31 points below them, you got to do it. You got to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Not so nice for uh, for uh, for Lille, that one. Gaultier apparently on his way. Uh, can, can we give some, some love to Jose Font, by the way, who was captain of this Lille team, 37 years old. He played 36 games this season. He, uh, I was lo- looking back at it, he made his Portugal debut at 31 years old, and since then he's won a European Championship and now a French League title. That's not so bad. That's a, that's a kind of decent trajectory, Taylor, I would argue. Yeah, I mean, given that he was with Daliani Fang in, I believe, uh, China before he was with Lille, I, it did feel like after the West Ham uh, sort of jaunt that maybe things were on the, the downturn for him, and yet here we are with him winning Liga. I'm going to assume, I haven't seen the Portugal squad, but I'm going to guess he's in there. I, I, who, I, that said, Portugal have like more depth than pretty much any team aside from France. So who knows if he will be, but I hope he is because they won the title, and I think that's not a result I expected at the beginning of the season, certainly, but even heading into this final week or the final couple weeks, because everything else has sort of returned to form. Leicester fall out of the top four. Juve make their way into the Champions League places. Mm. Like, sort of the inevitable things started happening. It felt slightly inevitable that PSG would end up finding a way, uh, or maybe Lille would slip up and give PSG the title. And in the end, we do have this upset. We do have this this big moment. And now we'll see what happens with PSG as a result. And and another good storyline is that... um, Lille have a number of PSG youth products who obviously were deemed not good enough for PSG. Um, so Magnon, Bubakari uh, Samari, uh, Jonathan Akone, Timothy Weah, of course, uh, was at yep. PSG. So that is that is rather sweet for, for them to, to, to beat PSG <laughs> to the league title. And, you know, Lille in general have a quarter of, of, of PSG's budget. When Gaultier took over, they were very nearly uh, relegated from Ligue 1. That was only... Um, three years ago, so it feels it feels like this this shouldn't have happened, and I'm a little bit split on whether this is a, a Lille triumph or a, a PSG catastrophe. I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. But it was it was things a, can be two things. Graham. Yeah, things can be two. It things. was it was enjoyable nonetheless. Uh, update is that both Pepe and Jose Font are in the Portugal squad for the Euros, oh so we have that to look forward to. Uh, and I do think it, it is interesting how I've seen a lot of coverage of PSG not winning the title being Pochettino can't find a way to make it happen Pochettino not winning in the one horse race league that is the French league and I think it's slightly unfair just a little bit just because we're all sort of forgetting that whole Thomas Tuchel thing that happened uh, halfway through the season when they were not looking good and really Pochettino's record I think is total uh, record so far is 21 wins, three draws, and seven losses. They win the Coup de France. They get knocked out in the Champions League uh, by, I think, Manchester City, which is no small feat, but that was after they eliminated Bayern Munich. So definitely some strong results, and I think PSG will probably be just fine next season. But then again, they do have to hold on to some of that talent. Kylian Mbappe, we don't know what will happen with him. So uh, I am Really interested to see what a like slightly wounded PSG do in the summer and next season. Well, let's not be too fair to PSG on the other side right. of that coin, Taylor, because they <laughs> did they, they didn't uh, Lille beat them in in Paris in April. They mm-hmm. they got a nil against them in December, so you can't argue the head to head there. Yeah. Uh, did you say they seven matches they lost under Poch because they only lost eight total in the season? And when Poch That's took over, they when Poch took over, um, they were one point behind Lille. And oh, you're talking about league? In the league, he only lost four. four right, well, okay. That's half the matches they lost. Yeah. And, and yeah. they were one point behind Lille when he took over, and that's where they finished. So at least he was consistent in that respect. Yeah, yeah. The, the weird <laughs> thing about PSG's season was that it, it was very consistent between the two halves. And I don't know whether that's that gives Pochettino some leeway. I guess one side of that, you could say, well, he's yet to kind of put his, his mark on this squad and this team, and, and this summer will be his opportunity to do that. But and then on the other side, you say, well, he didn't really have any impact. And, and the, the second half of the season was very, very similar to the first half of the season. I, I think I'm, I'm probably in that first camp. And maybe that's just because I do sort of like Pochettino, but I have no real like rooting interest behind it. I think it's just that for him to come in, not get the preseason, hit the ground running. And I think whenever you have a club like PSG who 
do have that vibe of like, ah, the French title is ours. We know we're going to win it. Trying to motivate that squad feels like it would be very difficult and trying to motivate a squad that has some of the personalities and the paychecks that it has. I think that is a very difficult beast to navigate, especially coming from Tottenham where you don't have as much of that or not maybe to that extent. I think I I give him some credit for kind of maintaining things and then I would guess having a stronger impact in the summer. But we'll see. If they finish second again next season, I will be slightly more critical, put it that way. That's fair enough. Well, what was fun on the Bean Sports uh, broadcast was uh, the commentators filling time after full time uh, in a little game, uh, waiting for the trophy presentation and saying, oh, it's going to be a long any second. Uh, presentation uh, was on Monday as we speak. It's happening today. So they, <laughs> they would have been waiting a long time in that broadcast to... Uh, to they're still there. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're still there. Still there waiting. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they, they might have even had the trophy in Brest where PSG were playing, which might have shown a lack Great. of faith in Lille's ability to close this one out. But there you go. The, the, the trophy was not given to Lille on their day of triumph. If we agents can we seg into the Bundesliga we know that Bayern Munich had this thing wrapped up but Lewandowski Robert Lewandowski uh, sealed a very special record in Bayern Munich's 5-2 win over Augsburg um, getting his 41st goal of the campaign breaking the 49 year old Bundesliga record uh, Lewandowski's the second on the all-time scorers list in the Bundesliga with 277 goals Gerd Müller is first with 365 so he's nearly 100 goals ahead to be fair but it's uh, I'm not sure if Lewandowski's going to get those uh, in the coming seasons. But congratulations to Bobby Lewandowski for uh, getting lots of goals, Graham. Yep, and uh, I'm very glad that he did score that 41st goal so that we can uh, pretend we planned this all along and we didn't forget to mention him equaling it last weekend. <laughs> so yes, this was, the, this was the intention all along. We were just waiting until he broke it. I mean, he left yeah. it late, didn't he? It was pretty much the last kick of, kick of the game because the referee didn't actually add on any stoppage time at all the goalkeeping for it was didn't leave much to uh, you know didn't leave much to be desired but yes obviously a, an incredible season and I think he's got to be front runner for the Ballon d'Or again this year maybe this year he'll actually uh, there'll actually be a Ballon d'Or and he might yeah. actually get his hands on it Maybe they won't cancel it for him this time. But um, uh, he did spurn quite a few chances before he got that 90th minute goal. But congratulations to him. Also, I'll say from this game, Bayern Munich wearing a very sexy black and gold number. Uh, LAFC <laughs> kind of adjacent, I would say. Uh, Graham's that going to make your OnlyFans? Just just to keep up on the kit news? <laughs> I noticed this one. Has anyone seen the kits that the Premier League Hall of Fame are using? It's very, very similar to that. But H- Hang on, what? They're using a kit? Yeah, and it's sponsored as well by a, a prominent American lager brand because, of course, it would it would have to be the Premier League Hall of Fame kits are sponsored. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's almost I don't know who's copied who. Michelob Ultra strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not though, right? Yeah. It's Budweiser. When, right? when uh, yeah, it's Budweiser. <laughs> when Jamie Vardy gets voted in, though, it will be Desperados. Uh, yeah, exactly. We're I like that uh, MLS continues to lead the trend in uh, just standard black jerseys replacing any sort of interesting color. That'd be fun. Mm. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> no, uh, spot- just me? Spot- just me with the black and white jerseys? That's it? All right, fine. I'm still sore Sponsored over what they've done to, uh, to Atlanta United this season. I'm sore, yeah. I'm sore about that one. So <laughs> that, That's fair. I don't want to talk anymore. But if you go to Target, you can buy a... You, you can go to Target and buy the generic black or white MLS jerseys. Those are fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, with just MLS on them. It's like the Rob Lowe yeah. NFL what? baseball Yeah, game. I was going to say, yeah. Really? You can buy those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are terrific. If you just want to support um, the league. The American um, uh, beer sponsorship, by the way, of those aforementioned Hall of Fame kits, I, you can't help but notice on the Spanish coverage when Luis Suarez is the king of the match, yeah. not the man of the match. He's uh, the king due to the... Uh, <sighs> what? There's a story behind <laughs> that. Um, side, that side is correct. <laughs> the, I think there's a story that Budweiser, when they took, when they stole the recipe for the beer from the Czech Republic, the beer there was called the Beer of Kings, and they switched it to the King of Beers. There's a there's a story there somewhere of uh, some cynical marketing that went on, which I which I've probably butchered. But why don't we move on to Italy's title race or the uh, race for the. Um, uh, for, for the top four, for the Champions League spot, should we say? Milan getting in there for the first time in seven seasons with a two-nil win over Atalanta. Graham, this this seemed to be quite a momentous occasion for Milan, and they did so. They got um they got into the spots with a, a record for away wins, sixteen away wins in the uh, Serie A this season, and uh, that's uh, better than any other team has done before. Congrats to them. Zlatan being accredited with being a big help, uh, elevating the team around him, blah blah blah, and so on. 
Yep, absolutely. Um, I think AC Milan deserve to, to to finish in the top four. Not only that, they actually finished second. And I had I hadn't actually realised that it had been seven seasons since they'd been out of of the Champions mm. League. So that was that was kind of the reason why it was such you know such momentous celebrations after the match. I, I I guess it would be quite similar if maybe you know I guess maybe Arsenal waited like two more seasons and then qualified for the Champions League. It would be some, something similar to that. So. Yeah, I think um, the, the the progress under Pioli has, has has been clear. They had a big dip and very nearly didn't finish in the top four. But you mentioned Zlatan there. He's he's obviously had a big impact, but I was surprised to read he's actually only played 19 games this season. And I was I was pleased that um, Frank Kessie scored both goals in, in this yeah, game against yeah. Atlanta because for me, he has probably been their, their best player this season. He's played the most Definitely. minutes. He's a, a one-man midfield and that he's a you know a ball winner, he's a playmaker, he's a goal scorer. I don't think there's many midfielders out there like him. And so as I say, I think I, I think it was fitting that he provided the moments that got Milan over the line. Will be good to see Juventus sign him at some point. Speaking of Juventus, uh, getting a 4-1 win over Bologna and squeaking their way, uh, Taylor, into the Champions League spots as well. Nothing less than they deserve, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it would have been pretty interesting to not have Juventus in the Champions League, but I'm sure many, many Juve fans out there would uh, disagree strongly with that one. And it did sort of feel like with the way they, they got their win, Juve, with the way Milan looked like a unit and a unit that played really well against an Atalanta team that we know is very good, that did finish third, mm. that have a lot of talent and are very difficult to play against, that Milan sort of take their chances, Kessie takes those penalties, takes them well, and they get the win. And you contrast both of those performances with what we saw from Napoli, and watching that game, it just it felt a lot like a team that knew they were losing their manager, knew they were potentially losing that fourth place spot, and played as individuals. I saw a lot of 1v1 take-ons and sort of trying to take somebody on and then crossing and then doing the hands up. Like, why isn't anybody there? Because they didn't look to see if anybody was crashing because at times they were only committing two players forward and three players in the box. And that's not going to get the result. So I think it's probably fair on the day. But it does feel like another one of those interesting narratives that could have been of the big club falling out and where do they go from here and what do they do next? And now I don't really have an answer to any of that because Napoli will have a new manager coming in. We know Roma will as well. Uh, What Juve do uh, is going to be very interesting. Do they keep Pirlo? Do they bring in Zidane? Do they bring in somebody else? And how do they strengthen, if at all? Uh, Serie A is going to be even more interesting next season, which is saying something about a league that had uh, a lot of permutations and switches entering this final day. Yeah, an exciting league this season, definitely. Inter Milan finishing top, of course. Milan second, Atalanta in third. Juventus squeaking into fourth at Napoli's expense. Napoli, as you said, Ted Taylor, leading for an hour in their game against uh, Verona, mm-hmm. but still couldn't get it done. Um, and uh, Gattuso on his merry way. Roma, meanwhile, into the Europa Conference League. Happy next season, Jose. That's for you. Uh, That'll be fun. Uh, One interesting stat. um, In the Premier League, Serie A and La Liga, the first and second places all went to teams from the same city. Milan, Manchester and Madrid. All uh, all cities beginning with M as well. Triple M. Isn't that fun? No, not really is the answer. Why don't we move on to uh, Major League Soccer? Another M. Uh, The Sounders taking on Atlanta on Sunday. 1-1 this finish, Graham. Uh, A pretty entertaining 1-1, I'd say, here. Rabri Diaz getting uh, the early goal with Joseph Martinez equalising later on. Um, What did you make of this one? Yeah, I've, I've kind of got con- contrasting thoughts on, on, on what happened here. I thought Atlanta, Atlanta United did well to hang in there a little bit. But at the same time, at the same time, I felt like the Sounders were quite passive after the after the first goal, particularly in the in, in the second half. Um, I guess the, the two sides of it are you could say they, that Sounders were maybe a little bit unlucky to concede, and that I didn't feel like Atlanta, uh, you know, tested the goalkeeper much until obviously Joseph Martinez scored that penalty. His, I know we've seen it so many times. Well, not recently. I think that was his first penalty for two years. But that that penalty motion still makes me yep. very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's very good at them, but if that was my team, I don't know if I would want him doing that. Grant, Grant, I'm going to take a photo of my notes to send to you just so you know that this is true. But in my notes, I have 86-minute, one-to-one, Martinez buries into the top corner-ish. 
and then his run-up gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> and it really does, because it's like the, the stutter step, the slow down, the hop, all of it feels like a recipe for skying it or falling over and the ball like barely making it to the goalkeeper. But instead, he just kind of finishes clinically every time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you that it's anxiety-inducing, but well-struck at the same time. You know, he has so much power as well, doesn't he? Despite yeah. having like, basically stopped a step before taking, taking the kick. It's incredible. I think it's because there's, there's about three different... Um, things that he does so there's like a slow down a hop and a stutter step all in once and if he just picked one it wouldn't yeah. make me so anxious but it's a little bit like you know when you, you're playing a game like Call of Duty or whatever in the PlayStation you press all the buttons at once and the guy like crouches jumps up and like crawls all in one motion <laughs> it's it's what it, he yeah he button smashes and then still finds a way to finish perfectly does Joseph Martinez and I'm with you Graham as well that this felt like a game that Seattle had comfortable control of. I thought their game plan caused a lot of problems to Atlanta and I think made Atlanta really uncomfortable, especially in the first half. The press, the press seemed really effective, and this was against an Atlanta team that I think will be much better uh, as the season goes on. I think they're still... They have the fitness, and you can see little moments where the intensity of the training is paying off and the quick combinations and some of the technical passing, I think, is really good. But there are still those moments of a player taking an extra touch or an extra two touches or laying it off, and then the player who gets the ball then plays the kind of long diagonal. But those slowdowns, if this is truly like based or a hybrid Bielsa ball system, I did see on a couple occasions when the ball would go forward and then get dropped back. You could see Ian kind of throwing his hands up in disgust. And I think Atlanta will improve as the season goes. And once they get that fluidity down, we'll see them kind of get consistent wins and maybe score some more goals. For Seattle, it, it they're usually, like I think of them as a team that puts it together like midway through the season and figures out exactly what they want to do. And then teams don't really know how to deal with it and Seattle go on their run, that they've kind of already started that now mm. uh, has me wondering how things will go for them for the rest of the season because they look very, very good, if not for that one mistake from Brad Smith near the end. This is a 1-0 win against a very good Atlanta team with Seattle looking pretty dominant and pretty comprehensive across the board. There's a lot of strength in that team. Yep, still the best start in the club's history. Five wins mm. and two draws. They're undefeated, obviously. And yeah, I agree with much of what you're saying there, Taylor. A pretty good press that they seem to have from the outset. Although, I'll, I'll credit Atlanta. This was one, I think this is the best performance I've seen from them this season. They were playing the ball out the back very well. Yeah. They, re they certainly resisted that press quite a bit, yeah. I'd say, as well. Um, and I, I too am encouraged by them because I thought the things certainly could get ropey for them at the back. But it seems like if they can, if they can keep the score to this against the Sounders, then I'm encouraged. Yeah, I thought Santiago Sosa especially, I think 65 of 77 for passing, 7 of 9 duels won, 3 for 3 dribbles, 2 for 2 tackles, 88 touches, that he is their central, central defender, but like carries the ball forward confidently, passes well, doesn't really panic. That's exactly what you want in uh, a defender of his caliber and of his importance for that team. Uh, and for Seattle, for their injuries, uh, with obviously Jordan Morris, for Ladero, and for uh, Fry being out to name just a few, uh, what, I, what I am stuck on is, if you all can remember Seattle's opener, uh, or their only goal, I guess, uh, Graham, we have a thing called Master Set Piece Theater on the show, which is for set pieces that are very well drawn up or design set pieces that okay. end up working. And, and I'm really not sure if this is one of those or if this is just Raul Ruiz Diaz being very, very good. But if you watch it, it's all of the Seattle players crash the near post and take most of the Atlanta defenders with them and vacate all of that space at the penalty spot, which is exactly where Raul Ruiz Diaz goes. And the other thing that I tend to look for in moments when I'm trying to figure out if this is intentional is how the team reacts and that every single Seattle player celebrates not just as though the goal has been scored, but there's that extra level of celebration of like, it worked! And yeah. you can just see them all have that like, we did it! We pulled it off! And I do think not taking anything away from Rudia's adjusting and getting that header because it's a great goal. But I think that was a moment of like, ooh, they cleared out and there's a ton of space and now they scored. Well done, Seattle. Even more well done. I think it was intentional. I think I think we've seen that All sort right. of thing from Rui <laughs> Diaz. Was it against the Galaxy or was it against LAFC? LAFC was the game where the fullbacks, both fullbacks scored. So it must have been the Galaxy game, I think, where Rui Diaz, there was a similar sort of move where the, the Sounders pulled everyone to the front post. Rui Diaz pulls away to the penalty spot and, and, and yeah. finishes it. So I think we've seen that sort of thing from ah. the Sounders uh, uh, already. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's very much in your category for, for, for that award. 
Uh, and USMNT fans who do not like MLS players will continue to not like me saying that Christian Roldan continues to be a very good player on and off the ball for Seattle. Uh, his his brotherly frustration with Alex Roldan also a thing that I really enjoy when like Roldan or Alex Roldan will underhit a pass. You can see Christian. It's just a, a little extra of like, come on, little brother, you're supposed to be better than that. It's not just a, a frustration with a teammate. It's frustration with a teammate brother, and I enjoy it. So Roldan doesn't like it when the pass is rolled on to him. Ah, well done. Yeah. Well done. Well Thank done. you very much. Thank you. I'm applauding you over here. I am well here done. all week. Uh, the big takeaway from this game, of course, was uh, Rui Diaz. I don't know if you noticed, um, on the back of his neck, he's got a tattoo of a crown, which is almost identical to Charlotte FC's crown. So I think we can see where he's going to be headed next. Um, he's already got the tattoo. Leading scorer sure. in MLS since the he's... restart last season. Hey, he's already scoring on turf. Why not? <laughs> Very good. Very good. All right. Uh, that's uh, that, that was the Seattle Sounders against Atlanta. Seattle, as we say, are undefeated and Atlanta going up to third in the East. Thanks to a late goal once again, no less. Let's head, gentlemen, into injury time. I'd like to draw attention to the championship playoff semifinal second legs. We had Brentford against Swansea. Uh, Brentford getting a 3-2 win on aggregate from this one, overcoming a 1-0 loss from the first leg. Uh, 4,000 fans in their brand new stadium as well. That was a huge huge win for them and uh, we look forward to them failing at the final stage what? in the championship playoffs once again as is their want but uh, the winner here of course as we all saw was from the Finnish striker Marcus Foss who spent last season at ASC Wimbledon got my there reference it in it was late in there the episode but is. I got it in I got it in uh, and the other championship uh, playoff semi-final second leg was Barnsley against Swansea Swansea getting a 2-1 win on aggregate there no start for Daniel DK for Barnsley and they paid for it Daryl DK, how dare you? Daryl I can tolerate DK. this anti-American slander no longer. <laughs> between between Bournemouth being knocked out so Cameron Carter-Vickers isn't in the final and Daryl DK not being in the final either. Oh. That's already anti-American bias, clearly, is why those two teams aren't in there. But Ryan, calling him the wrong name. Uh, to, Insult to injury, To my sir. credit, I knew it was double D, and I pronounced DK how how he would prefer. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Give me credit for that. But yeah, um, I, I suppose he, he'll be off now, I guess, right? Uh, you mean back to Orlando City? Just kidding. Yes, he will yeah. probably be uh, moving somewhere for some money for sure. Yeah, so there we go. It's uh, the championship playoff. The, the the team who will get into the Premier League will be either Brentford or Swansea. Graham, predictions. Who's getting in? It's Swansea, right? Uh, I want Brentford. Just as long as they get rid of those multicolored seats at their stadium. I'm not a fan of those. I mean, were there 4,000 fans in that stadium or were they just all multicolored seats to try and pretend it was all an illusion? I'm also just... Graham, have we... Have we had this fight before yes, on the show? We have. I feel like we have when I mentioned Dusseldorf Stadium. It was Dusseldorf, How was it? How dare I you? I spent the whole what, watching this Brentford Bournemouth game trying to figure out where we'd spoken about this before. Yep. And it's it was Dusseldorf. Yeah, it's Dusseldorf. So yeah. I'm, I, I evidently I'm really not a fan of multicolored mm-hmm. seats. But yeah, I, I want Brentford to get like they're 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 more interesting, aren't they? I mean no no offense oh, definitely. to Swansea, but like they've been in the Premier League recently and and destroyed Bob Bradley. Like, let's give someone else a, a chance uh, in the Premier League. I'm just glad, though, that we're not going to have Barnsley and Burnley in the Premier League at the same time. <laughs> it would have been like when uh, James McCarthy and James MacArthur were in the Premier League at the same time. <laughs> that would be too much, I agree. By the way, on, on Championship Sunday, do you, how many people do you think watched um, Burnley against Sheffield United? Is there a less appetising game that could have been possibly played on that day than Burnley against Sheffield United? I ask you. But uh, yeah, interesting, interesting one in the championship uh, playoffs. I too would like Brentford to go up. They're they're a really good team, and uh, it's always nice to have a new team in the Premier. Yep. League. Uh, one other promotion story I'd like to mention in injury time is Sutton United, who promoted to League Two into the Football League officially for the first time in their 123 year history. And of course, we all know Sutton United play at Gander Green Lane. Of course, we all know AFC Wimbledon's first ever game was at Gander Green Lane. Second reference of the pod. I squeezed another one in. <laughs> Yay! Yay for me! <sighs> Anything else to cover in injury time, gents? Maybe we should give a, a little tribute to Sergio Aguero playing his um, his final game for Manchester City and getting two goals to an Everton side who clearly had no interest in defending in that game. Um, but he overtakes Wayne Rooney at the most Premier League goals ever for a single club. 184 goals. Uh, he, got, he scored those two goals in this game as a substitute as well. That's only the second time he's done that for Manchester City. The first time was his debut against Swansea in August 2011. Bookends, Taylor. Bookends. 
Yeah, also I love that Barcelona let Luis Suarez go and then thought, like, okay, we've learned our lesson. We can't let veteran forwards slip out of our hands. So now they're bringing in Sergio Aguero to replace Luis Suarez. It, it feels fitting. It feels right. Very curious the way Pep was talking about it. He was talking about Barcelona as the club of his heart. And, was uh, he drunk? Yeah. <laughs> it, like, yes. Pep, it was a strange interview all the way through. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Managers have it tough, guys. Managers have it tough. Yeah. You you almost said that like Pep. Managers have it tough, guys. I can imagine you like crouched. That was Dutch, that accent I just did. But um, <laughs> right, I can imagine you crouched down saying that. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, well, have right, you now seen- I made it Connery. I can't do it either. <laughs> there, was a- <laughs> there was a video from this week of Pep uh, smoking a cigar and having a drink and celebrating with his yeah. team, which feels like something you should do after a Champions League final. But uh, hey, they're in celebration <laughs> mode, I guess. Yeah. There was also a video. It would be remiss of me as a Scot not to mention, acknowledge St. Johnson's Scottish Cup triumph. Now, you might not think that's... I'm going somewhere with this. There was a celebration video of their manager, Callum Davidson, doing a belly slide across the Hamden Park dressing room floor straight into the door on the other side of the room, which was quite amusing. But I have to mention St. Johnston Injury Time mentions, um, not since Sir Alex Ferguson's Aberdeen team has a team outside of the old firm outside of Celtic Rangers won a cup double in the same season in Scotland. So quite a magnificent achievement for a, a, a team that has about the tw- a 20th of the budget of Celtic. So yeah, quite quite an incredible achievement. All right, so I've made a reference to Wimbledon. Um, Graham has made a reference to uh, Scotland. We've, those, those have been crowbarred in, Taylor. Uh, what's, what's, what canon are you going to give us here? Are you going to ma- uh, make an allusion to an American TV show? <laughs> I mean, I was just trying to think of a way to shoehorn in Manchester United, but it's <laughs> difficult to talk about Manchester United these days, so I don't know how I'll talk about Man United on this show. Uh, they're wearing their nice zebra kit against wolves. I think they're. I think their final. Their final time with that one. It, it, it's a sad one. It's a sad one. And it was a poignant one. I will say uh, to have uh, the TSS Derby be the final game of the season. And I will say uh, in your face, Daryl, because your team lost. So there you go. <laughs> And on that note, let's uh, end the weekend review. Thank you so much for listening if you got this far with us. Uh, Graham Ruthven, always a pleasure to have you join us from the Glasgow building site. <laughs> That's fine, and uh, I'm away to... <laughs> I'm, 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 real, I'm, I'm hoping that you've got some really good editors today, both to edit out the noise of the building site and also to edit out me thinking there are 250 weeks in a year. Um, so, yeah, good luck on those counts. Uh, I'm excited for, for Graham to get a notification that the building site will be a building site for the next 256 weeks, and he'll have to decide if that's a typo or reality. It's only a year. That's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure to have you join us once again. Thank you very much for your ongoing noise that comes from your mouth. (laughs) At what point in that sentence did you realize what the sentence was going to end with? Oh, very, very late on. It was a game time decision. (laughs) Outstanding. Right back at you, buddy. Bye! Bye!